Thursday finance for our sponsor, Pritchard and Partners, Stephen Pritchard. I don't know whether you're the same as many other people around the place. The NBN, have you um, been grappling with that recently? Well, it worked. It worked. The NBN at our place worked fine for about two weeks until um, Telstra decided to shut down the copper network, and then it hasn't worked since. So, we, we, you know, this was the 15th of August. We're now in, in, in September. So, so after a while, I thought, oh, we'll lodge a complaint with the telecommunication ombudsman, um, who is supposed to handle telecommunication complaints. Of course, they don't actually handle complaints about the NBN code. Ah, that's outside their scope. That's outside of their scope. So what they do is they convert your complaint about the MBCO into a complaint about the um, the telco provider who really can't do anything except bring the MBCO up in here. So then they refer you to ACMA, which is the Australian Communication and Media Authority, on the basis that the telecommunication industry ombuds is is not a regulator. So you, you, you speak to the regulator and you'll never guess what the regulator does. Let me guess. No, you tell me. It refers you back to the telecommunication Communication. industry ombudsman. <laughs> and last week, the, about a week or two weeks ago, the telecommunication industry ombudsman, a woman by the name of um, Judy Jones, put out a statement saying, and listen to this, she can't pinpoint why consumers so, seem so disappointed with the MBN. She can't pinpoint. Of course... The fact that she's not accepted complaints um, might, might be a reason why she can't pinpoint. But, but that being said, I offered to, if she wanted to phone me up, I offered to tell her. And she could even come out to our house and have a look at why we're disappointed. But, of course, there's been no response. So I, I think, you know, you've got to question why are we funding these bodies who just flick you backwards and forwards and don't actually achieve anything? I suppose you get lots of exercise running around in circles. Well, I suppose their staff gets lots of exercise shuffling one bit of paper from one side of the desk to the other and stamping that it's completed. That is a question I think we will not attempt to answer ourselves. Well, it would be interesting for them to come back to us. Yes, it would. It would. Thanks, Jane. So, In the so, meantime, we'll take a look at what's happening with commodities. Gold. Now, gold's doing all right, isn't it? Um, yeah, gold was up another another 1% on the week to uh, $1,670. Um $1,670.95 an ounce at the close last night. Um, copper price is, is up a point seven to $8,590 a tonne. And the crude oil price was other than up another six cents to 67, sorry, 6% to 67.63 cent dollars per barrel. I mean, the gold prices is, is being driven to a certain extent by, um, Events in North Korea, and I, I would have thought it was that we would have actually have been going up faster than that. But nevertheless, that's that's what's happening. Um, the U.S. dollar, the, the Australian dollar, has continued to comply against the U.S. dollar. It's up another point seven six percent. So so we're up over eighty cents again last night to eighty point oh seven cents. So wow, very, very good if you're travelling overseas, to, mm. or at least to the U.S. Uh, we were down against the British pound to sixty one point three seven. And it's the euro, we're up 0.6% uh, against the euro to 67 euro pence. Um, or cents. Cents. Euro cents. Yeah, just looking at this, it appears the, just looking historically, it appears the euro and the um, great British pound are getting closer together. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. The all ordinaries was down another 0.4% last week. Uh, on the week to 5,752. We seem to be getting further away from that magical 6,000, which everyone was talking about at the beginning of the year. It'll be 6,000 by February. But it's still a nice little dream. Yeah, we're, it? only, we're only, what, 
um, how many weeks to Christmas now? Oh, no, thank you. I went, into a, I went into a it. shop the other day and they've got the Christmas decorations uh, up. Right. <laughs> well, we've finished with Father's Day, so we've got to the, have something. The Christmas trees were up on the 1st of September. Oh, dear. Um, and the, the, um, the S&P index was also down uh, 0.2% to 2,465. And the F the FTSE index was down 1% to 7,354. Uh, a couple of stocks that local investors uh, seem to be interested in. Um, BHP w- was up another 1.2% on the week to $27.73. Um, CBA was continues to drift downwards to down another 2.7% on the week to $73.70. Uh, Catherine Livingston's made a, announced a few board changes last week, and I, I think you're going to see there's more more changes coming in uh, CBA. So um, it, it's going to be interesting. I think you, the new MD is going to come from outside of the bank. I think you're going to okay. see a big shake-up there. Mm-hmm. And um, NIB, which is uh, people have done quite well out of that, um, $3 up, up. 3.3% on the week to $6.11. Uh, it's down about 20 cents today because it went ex-dividend. But still, if you got some of those shares in the demutualisation, you, 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 you're you doing all right. Particularly if you got mm-hmm. the maximum, which I think was 6000 or 5000 mm-hmm. you've got $30,000 worth there. You're smiling there, Jane. Oh, wouldn't that um, be nice? <laughs> yes. And uh, Telstra, as long as you didn't have any Telstra, continues to sink away, um, down another 1.3% to $3.62. Um, the fuel prices in Newcastle was um, down 1.6% to $1.24.6 a litre, and in Sydney it was down 1.4 to $1.15 a litre, and the diesel price in Newcastle was $1.26, and in Sydney it was $1.23 a litre. And petrol prices, we'll be talking about those a little petrol bit later. Petrol prices, we're going to with Yeah, Carl, Carl's been on the board for, for um, a VMRA for 12 years, and for those who don't know, he's, he's one of the local people from Newcastle, so it's good. Henry Jennings from the Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. Henry. Stephen, how are you? Good. Are blankets and heaters selling well in Melbourne this week? <laughs> they should be. It's, it's a lot chillier in Melbourne than it is in Sydney, let me tell you. So yeah. I, I was warned by my wife I should have brought a jumper. And I did. Yeah, I said, "Don't be ridiculous." You're a brave person. Don't be ridiculous. You're a very brave person. Henry. So, <laughs> did you have to go out and buy one? Did you? No, but she did give the uh, the catch-all phrases. I told you so. Oh yeah, they which is always good to hear that, from your wife. That, that, yes, they they're very good at doing that. Yes, mm, yes. they are good at that. Yeah, I hope my, my I hope mine's not listing, but anyhow, um, no. <laughs> it is sometimes deserved. <laughs> well, maybe we'll. It is. We'll, you're we'll right, Jane. It is sometimes deserved. Yeah. So you're really calm. So, of course, Maya, Maya's, um, in an attempt to boost sales, are, are going to establish some clearance stores. So perhaps you could pop down there and get a get a, uh, <laughs> a, a an August version. Yeah, I mean, this is this is. I guess this is. Um, I mean, Maya's are struggling to remain relevant. I guess um, department stores have not been an easy task, and we've seen bad figures from David Jones, and we've seen problems with Maya, um, and they look as if they're trying to, I guess, maximise the sales of floor space across some of their underperforming stores by, by pushing people into uh, you know, the bargain basement kind of scenario where uh, their discounted stuff is all in one spot. And you know, it kind of makes a bit of sense, I guess, but I, I suppose that the trick is to take them from that department, which is the bargain basement, to the, the first floor makeup and haberdashery or whatever and, and get them to uh, like the store again. So um, at least I guess they're trying something because you know we've got that uh, behemoth Amazon coming down the line, 
um, and it's going to—it's certainly not going to be easy for Maya uh, in the coming uh, year. I say. Well, I mean, you, you know, you walk into this store at Charleston. Oh, last time I did, and you think it was a bargain basement store. Anyhow, the way all the stocks just strewn up across the place, and yeah, can, I mean, you, you can't just, find you know, anything. It's uh, no, it's 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 you know, it's um, it's it's hard work, I think, and and uh, you know, they cut costs by cutting staff. And then you've got nobody to fold and, and put yep. the stuff back and put it in the right place, and people don't care, and morale goes down, and it looks tacky, and it looks like you know you're wandering into the reject shop. Yep, yep. So anyhow, um, and speaking of rejects, or not so much a reject anymore, all, all these all these going to bring out a fresh food offering and expecting to, uh, or hoping, or expecting to, whichever you want to phrase it, obtain fifteen percent market share of the grocery business. That, that's that's not going to be good for. For, no. for, for the other players in the market, is it? No, it's not going to be good for for Coles or uh, or Woolies. Um, you know, Aldi certainly has lifted its game, um, very much so. And Woolies has lifted its game. It's up to really Coles, I guess, to to lift their game. And of course, again, you've got this threat. Um, I guess, and Aldi's going to be suffering from this as well. Of what Amazon does, uh, they just bought that um, business, Whole Foods, and cut prices straight away by. Uh, some ridiculous amounts, forty-two percent or something stupid. So, um, it's um, it's it's a worry for those um, companies. But you know, it's I guess it's it's all about position still. And if you've got the best place, the easiest to park, etc., um, and you and you kind of do it okay, um, you know, if you don't stuff it up too much, then you should do all right. But um, certainly, Woolworths has had a big revival. Even our local Woolies. I went in there the other day. I hadn't been in there for a few months. It was it was a, a new shop. Mm. It was it was it was well, not completely different, but they'd certainly put some money in and redeveloped it. Um, you know, all the cash uh, registers and, yep. uh, and all that sort of stuff. It, it looked a lot more schmick and impressive than it did previously. Have they rolled out the new food section there? Because they've just started doing that. At, at, at no, most, Steve, I don't live in that posh suburb when they have new food sections. No, no, I just mean they've put a butcher shop in there. And a, no, a, a, no, a, no, no, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a big, super-duper one, but certainly the one down the road in Mona Vale is a big, super-duper one, and they have got, uh, you know, the butchers, the fishmongers, yeah, the, the yeah, sushi bar and all yeah, that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, they, I mean, they, they can do it well, and they have done it. They, yeah, they are doing it better. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's talk of a, a well, it was a bit confusing to me, but I thought you'd know the answer. There's talk of a chicken price war, which of course Ingham shares have dropped, and then they've complained to ASIC about it. I mean, yeah, I was a bit confused, but I tried to find the chicken price war. They, they had, there was a chicken price war last year, and Ingham seemed to have uh, have won that particular war, um, and they did. They, you know, the, the company's done very well with uh, with its. Uh, profits on the back of the chicken price war, so they, they were the winners. I think one thing that is overhanging Ingham's is that uh, TPG Private Equity have still got a massive slug of it. I think it's forty-seven odd percent, and those shares are now. Um, I think we're sort of one year on from from when Ingham's listed, and I've got a feeling those shares are coming out of escrow soon. And as a result, that um, potentially has an effect, I guess, on uh, on the share price. So. Um, we may see that line coming out. All the brokers you know, love trying to get these, uh, get their hands on these lines of stock because they're great big trades, and they can usually make quite a bit of money on them. So, mm. Um, mm. so it's um, it may be that that's um, that's kind of weighing on it. But certainly the results last year show that chicken price wars. Nah, we, we're we're okay with that. We can do well out of that. Oh, that's good. Mm. And uh, we might just 
quickly talk about Surf Stitch. So, so oh. apparently they're hoping to ride again, and they're just down the road from your house or office or something. Well, they? they used to be. They started as a little surf shop in Monavale and then went global. Yes. And I looked at it and just went, you guys are kidding yourselves. I mean, and you look at the website, it's just that they've got so many different uh, products that it's very, you know, must, stock control must be a nightmare. And they're forever having specials and sales and all this. So, you know, it, it's really hard. I, you know, if they ride again, good luck to them, but it's going to be a very diluted and very different pared-down business, I would imagine, uh, and start again. But they just had such a massive range, and they were forever discounting uh, because of it, which is never a great look if you're going to buy. You know, why buy a T-shirt today if it's going to be discounted tomorrow? Yeah, and why buy one of those so-called designer brands if it's going to be discounted? Yeah, yeah I mean, how, how designer can a T-shirt be? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's a walk around billboard, isn't it, for somebody else's artwork or product? Well, that's right, but people seem to pay for it. <laughs> I know, I know, I can't work that one out either. Okay, <laughs> we'll be back in a minute to talk about Queensland <laughs> gas. Yeah, anyway, so so Cenex is is one I tend to supply gas to the in Queensland to supply gas to the East Coast market. I just assume that's just Queensland East Coast. Um, yeah, this was an this was an interesting announcement, I have to say, because they the, the announcement read that they had won a competitive tender for nil consideration. Yes. So they've, they've basically been gifted a great big tract of Queensland um, oil and gas land um, on the basis that they're going to drill I don't know a hundred holes in the thing, um, like Swiss cheese, and then uh, use the, uh, the the gas the domestic market which of course plays very well with the narrative at the moment which is you know all the gas is going overseas we've got none for ourselves so mm-hmm. this this is good um, i noticed today as well that santos which has been one of our ones that we've discussed in the past and one of my kind of favorites um is um is also um committing to supplying the domestic gas market as well um so you know there's a bit of good corporate um, citizenship going on between uh, between Senex and uh, and Santos and, and these people. They're just trying to keep, I guess, the government off their back a little bit. But certainly, it was a good deal for Senex. The stock price uh, went uh, went pretty well on the back of it. It is only a um, thirty odd cent stock, but they were up twenty five percent on the back of this news. So it is good news for them getting a big freebie patch of land to go and uh, drill some holes and get some gas out of and sell. Okay, and then AGL, AGL has decided they want to shut the coal generation plants. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is all, you know, it's, it's all amazing I mean, to me. I mean, this is all economics 101. I mean, if you've got the generation plant is a supply and you remove supply and your demand remains the same, of course the prices are going to go up. That's, that's right. So AGL has obviously done the numbers. They're better off shutting the plant, pushing the prices up yep. than keeping the, the coal-fired power station going. Well, I think the other problem with the coal-fired power station is these things are pretty aging, mm-hmm. um, and there does come a time when, when you know, you've either got to spend a lot of money to upgrade them, or they become, I guess, unstable. I'm not an expert on power stations, but you would think that uh, you know maintenance becomes a big issue the, the, the longer they go for. So this is the Liddell power station, which they previously announced that they were going to close by 2020, so it's still three years away. Um, and the government has been pushing them and pushing them to say, hey, don't close it, because basically we've stuffed up our energy policy so much that we need another five years before we can bring on Snowy 2.0, which, God, that's, you know, another great, it's like utopia. Yep. Anyway, um, but um, so they, they're trying to persuade AGL to keep it open. AGL has said, you know what, no thanks, um, and the government's trying to make them sell it. So um, there are a couple of parties lining up to buy it, which you would have to think from an AGL perspective is is 
it's pretty good. Would you rather close something or or sell it to some somebody else? The problem is that, of course, as you rightly point out, then you keep the the, uh, the supply coming, and you're also gifting the supply for a price to your competitors. So it's a bit of a twin-edged sword in that respect. But um, but yeah, it's um, it's the whole energy sphere at the moment is, uh, is is pretty much up in the air, and the government trying to trying to sort out a mess that they probably created themselves over well, the well, well, of course, few of course, decades. It's not so long ago that the state government actually sold the Liddell Power Station to AGR. And, and I, you know, all the power privatisation and everything else that we heard throughout the years has always said that um, privatisation will increase competition and drive prices down. You reckon? That's, how's that working out? Well, that, that works on economic theory, but the first thing you've got to have there is low barriers to entry. Yeah. And unfortunately not easy to build a power station and they cost a lot of money so there's really high barriers to entry yes. so the market's just doing what, what Economics 101 would tell you it would do the yes. politicians don't seem to understand that so anyhow, Woodside's looking for some expansion in Africa um, yeah, I guess I mean, Woodside's always had this, this issue with, uh, with expansion and they've knocked back a few big uh, kind of projects, there was a big project they knocked back uh, Leviathan I think it was called in, uh, in Israel but Certainly, Africa seems to be one frontier that uh, oil companies are quite happy to uh, to embrace at the moment. So, so I guess that's, that's good for Woodside, and they you know, they probably need a bit of a, a growth kicker because um, you know it's a very well managed company, but it's not been going too far. It's not even that geared to the oil price. We've seen the oil price recover, and Woodside really do very little. So, um, it's um, it has been going sideways. Maybe this is the growth kicker they need, but uh, probably early days at the moment. And um, McGrath Real Estate, which listed, uh, what, two years ago? And there's a, a slab of stock coming out of escrow, I think, on Friday, and apparently some activist investors lining up to buy it. So, Yeah, McGrath Real Estate has not been a fantastic success story, I have to say, which, which is surprising given that we've, we've just gone through a massive housing boom. So you have to ask yourself the question, if, if, if you can't make money in a housing boom, how are you going to go in when it goes um, to custard? So um, there is a, a heap of stock that some of the agents that work for McGrath uh, owned as incentives. The, the problem is these guys have actually left. Um, a lot of these big hitters who had stock in McGrath have left the company and now have set up their own company in competition. So um, it's kind of ironic, I guess, that uh, you've got the competition-owning part of your company. There has also been rumours over the years that uh, you know maybe... Um, John McGrath will take the thing private because it's been a bit of an embarrassment. They start, you know, they, at least they've bottomed, I guess. That's the best you could say. They did get down to 55 cents at one stage, uh, and they're back up to 78 cents. So hopefully something will happen. Someone will put them out of their misery, whether it's private equity, whether it's an activist hedge fund, or whether it's John McGrath himself will, will snap up these shares and, uh, and use that as a platform to take the company private again. Right. So you, you mentioned earlier that Sanus was one of your favourite stocks at the moment. So where can we learn what your favourite stocks are? Um, you can uh, sign up to a two-week free trial. Speak to the lovely uh, Nikki or Chi-Chi at marcustoday.com.au. We had a, a really good winner the other day. We, we picked uh, Blackmore's. Um, just after they changed uh, the new CEO, and the, we picked up a 25% gain in two weeks for uh, some of our subscribers. So uh, we've got a few happy subscribers out there on the back of the Blackmores. So I'm sure they've yeah. renewed, Henry. I'm sure they've renewed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, going to find out more about petrol prices. Kyle Lodes, president of the NRMA, is joining us, Stephen Pritchard. Kyle.
Stephen, how are you? I'm very well, Carl. So you've been on the board of the NRMA since uh, 2005, I think? Is 2005. It seems like a lifetime oh, ago, it but it's like nearly 12 years. And you've been president or chairman or whatever they call it you're, since 2014? That's right. And you're retiring this year? That's right. Uh, most boards of large companies have a maximum tenure in NRMA's case, it's uh, 12 years, so uh, irrespective of who you are, uh, you finish at an agreed time, and that's the end for me, and it's been a, a great experience, Stephen. That's good we've got someone local on a board like that, particularly even better that you're chairman. Well, Stephen, it is important. Uh, the Hunter has about uh, 250,000 members of the NRMA broadly, and you know the, the big issues that affect the Hunter... You know, it's important to feed those into the NRMA and or to, in a lobbying sense, the state government of infrastructure, roads and rail and all the rest of it, but also petrol pricing and all the other related issues. And if you don't have a local presence, you know, uh, it, it does make it a bit more difficult. Yeah, I'm sure it does. I'm sure. I think that's one of the problems up here generally. Um, but anyhow, you've solved that for us for the NRMA. Um, and so... Uh, the petrol prices you mentioned, so they seem to be changing all the time and people ring up here and wanting to know why they change and should they fill up on any, any particular days? Is there any is there any comments you've got on that? Yeah, Stephen, look, broadly, uh, Australia has moved away from being, let's call it a manufacturer of crude oil to mostly importing uh, crude oil and we're so reliant on what goes on all around the world. The, the big factors that affect pricing, uh, overall the price of crude oil, which goes up and down like a yo-yo, and, and when you have issues going on in the Middle East and you have other competition emerging, which, which is what's gone on with alternate fuels in the US, they all impact uh, on the price of petrol. The other issue is the Aussie dollar. All crude oil contracts and refined petroleum products are negotiated in US dollars. So whenever the Australian dollar moves up or down, it impacts to the opposite. So if the Aussie dollar goes up higher, the price of petrol goes down and vice versa. So that's there are two factors there. And, and finally, Stephen, in a localised sense, uh, a, a petrol station can choose to uh, sell for whatever it wants. So there's no mandate on on what margin and what profit it can make. So often, in particular areas in the Hunter where there's less competition, the price can be very high. And any one day in the Hunter, uh, the petrol pricing can range from lowest to highest between 20 and 30 cents gap, which is very substantial. That's a big gap on it when you're talking about around $1.20, isn't it? Look, it is, and I just had a look. I mean, NRMA has an app, and there are other ones out there as well, but I just had a quick look at Newcastle petrol pricing, and you can get standard unleaded for $1.10 a litre, and it may be even cheaper, but that's the cheapest I found with a quick glance. And then I found other pricing uh, 10 to 15 cents dearer, literally kilometres away. Mm -hmm. So it's so important to have knowledge to know uh, where to go and fill up at the cheapest price at any time. And that information with technology is out there and available right now. Yeah, I know. We get the NRA uh, to give us our petrol prices for, for uh, our session earlier. So is there... A lot of people tell me there's a link between holiday periods and the price of petrol. And, and, and so is is there been any analysis done on this or is it just a urban myth? Look, we track the average pricing 
every day uh, across the key locations around the state. It does always seem to be dearer on uh, the first days of and the last days of holiday periods such as Easter and the Christmas uh, time, etc. Statistically, it doesn't show that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But I but I still get feedback from people and the frustrations people feel, and, and I again on average there are operators that are placed at key locations as we head north on holidays yeah. or south that uh, probably do put it up a bit, but it's not going up ten twenty cents a litre. It's really just a few cents here or there on average. Okay, okay, and and. And, and so the other thing is there's also this, and this is a kind of a technical question. So some people say you're better off using E10 because it's usually cheaper. And other people say you're better off using premium 98 because um, even though it's more expensive, you don't use as much. Is is that the truth or is that an urban myth or do you, do you kind of know that? So, Stephen, we do know the answer to this. And uh, uh, E10 is an ethanol blended fuel that uh, NRMA uh, strongly supports as a, as a positive alternative. The positives to E10 are that it's uh, got a local content, so Manildra and other operators actually make it and then mix it in with uh, and then send it off to the, the major brands to mix it in with their petrol. It's a job creator, it's good for the environment, and it's actually the cheapest form of petrol. It normally is two to four cents, and sometimes more cheaper than standard unleaded. And uh, that is a good thing. Uh, overall, uh, if you there's a myth that you have to have premium fuel because it's better for your engine, and/or uh, it's more efficient. It can be more efficient with the right modern engine. Most mo- many vehicles, it doesn't make any difference at all. And in fact, sometimes you're putting premium petrol into a vehicle, paying more for it, and, and it can be 10 to 20 cents per litre more, uh, and you're not getting value out of it uh, in, a, in a net bottom line sense because, you know, it's just not saving you that much in efficiency. Uh, I would simply say look at your, the cap on your vehicle, the, the petrol cap or your handbook, and if it says to use premium petrol, then do that, but if it doesn't, you can use any form of petrol, ethanol, standard unleaded, or a premium. And, and in fact, give ethanol a go because most cars post-1986, it's fine to be used. Okay. So what we might do is have a quick break and come back and talk about driverless cars. And Stephen Pritchard talking with Kyle Loads. So driverless cars are on their way? So, Stephen, uh, they are on their way. NRMA just uh, released a report uh, highlighting all the change coming. Uh, 2025 is when the first driverless car, which is a vehicle without a steering wheel or foot pedals, will arrive in Australia for uh, potential use by uh, drivers or previous drivers. And uh, from then, the world changes. There are so many benefits, Stephen. 94% of accidents are caused by human error, so no more drug driving, drink driving, speeding, texting in cars, distraction that causes... Mm-hmm. most of the accidents and deaths. And when you're travelling to and from work or from A to B, you can literally be reading, sleeping, uh, making the most of the travel time rather than focusing on driving. So time management-wise uh, is a winner. And also the, the con- con- congestion reduces significantly because there's a lot less vehicles on our roads. So it's talk that, that, that when driverless cars in, that the ownership structure of cars may change as well. So instead of pe- people owning their cars, they might own 
part of a car or in a carpool or something? Is what what centre am I thinking about the kind of that? Well, it's already changing with GoGet and other sharing economy uh, models, where people today are uh, literally selling their second car and sharing cars or Ubering cars or what have you into the city of Sydney. Uh, it's already starting. Over time, the driverless car will become part of that alternate. Won't be the only option. Most people won't own a driverless car. Uh, it'll be owned by fleet management companies and other organisations, and you'll simply dial it up like you do a taxi or an Uber now, and it turns up, picks you up, drops you off, and then you dial it again to come and pick you up. Right now, you own a car. It's almost a wasted asset. We use it less than 10% of the time, where with a driverless car, that, that vehicle will be used almost 24-7, and that's why the economic tipping point will be important because it'll end up being much cheaper to, uh, to utilise a driverless car rather than own your own car. Yeah. So do you think people still own their own car if it's driverless? Look, over time, uh, it'll be a transition. Yep. Uh, eventually, though, Stephen, people may want to choose to own their own car, but they'll be judged more dangerous drivers than uh, a driverless car, and you'll probably have to end up going to a racetrack to drive a manual XR8 or, or your own car because the insurance costs will go up and all the other costs will go up to do with owning your own car. And again, in the transition, there'll be some people will utilise new technology, like is in the past, and then over time, people will be forced to go driverless because it'll cost them too much to own their own car. Okay, well, that that sounds fascinating. Unfortunately, we've got to finish up. Yeah, we do. Thank you very much, Kyle Loads from the NRMA. Thanks for having me. Happy happy to chat again in the future. Okay, thanks, Kyle. And Thursday, finances, lots more to talk about. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.